How many of you were at the 11 o'clock service last Sunday morning? Something terrible happened, and I didn't know it until I watched the, the video this week. We sang happy birthday to Clayton. My microphone was on. <laughs> Cindy Hockenjosh just lovingly pointed that out to me uh, again. And uh, would y'all please tell me if that's happening? Because it was terrible. It, it was terrible. I mean, Wayne's banned me from even walking by the choir room for like six months. It was horrible. So I don't know why I'm going off on that, but I just thought it was funny, and I thought you need to hear about it. Next, uh, next Wednesday night, we are beginning a series on spiritual growth. I'm excited about it. We're going we're gonna to spend the spring looking at some, uh, some very basic but very deep things that you and I need to be doing to help us really grow up in our relationship with Jesus Christ, starting that next week. Let me ask you another question that's not pleasant. How many of you have ever had the flu? Dr. Sanders uh, informed me several years ago, I didn't know this, there's different types of flu. Did you know that? There are different types of flu. I didn't know that. I just thought there was the flu, but there's, there's different ones. And there's one that's far worse. How many of you ever had the flu from hell? That flu. You had that? I'm convinced. You don't want to go to hell because I believe they have the, Hitler has the flu right now. I mean, that's, uh, uh, it's terrible. And when you get the, when you get the worst kind of flu, I'm not exaggerating, you'll agree. It hurts your toenail and the scalp of, of your, on your head and everything in between, doesn't it? It, besides its ugly sister, the stomach virus, which to me is the worst thing, the flu is terrible when you really, I mean, it really, it just, it affects everything in your life. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 10. It's page 405 in my Bible, which means absolutely nothing to you what it page it might be in your Bible. But we're going to look tonight at something that's going, when it really happens, it affects every area of your life. Here it is. When God really gets a hold of you, God gets a hold of all of you. Would you agree with that? When God really, that's the key word there, really gets a hold of you, it affects your toenails and your scalp and everything in between. It affects everything. Here's, here's a, let's begin with this. It, it affects your behavior. It affects your behavior. Here's what was going on. The context of this book Jerusalem and the Jewish people had been in bad shape. And a guy named Nehemiah comes up, and he is a leader. He's courageous. He's godly. And he helps them rebuild the city wall. Now, city wall to you and me doesn't mean anything, but to people back then, it was everything. I mean, that's, that's your pride. That's your safety. You can't really have an effective city without a city wall. I mean, the enemy can just walk in on you. So it was very important. And while the wall's being, real, being rebuilt, this is a God thing, and revival's happening among the people. The first chapters of the book are about the wall, and the, the rest are about revival. And God has got a hold of them. And when God gets a hold of you, it affects everything. It affects your behavior. Look in verse 28. 29. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had been separated had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God together with their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and all who were old enough to understand. Verse 29, they joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands 
regulations and decrees of the Lord our God. These people got right with God. And they're not separating in an ugly way, but what they're saying is, man, we're going to live for God. And we are going to separate from people that aren't living for God. We're going to love them, but we're not going to be tied up in that mess anymore. Our life's going a different direction because God has got a hold of us. Verse 30, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. Not being ugly here, but just saying, hey, uh, if someone is ungodly, we're not going to let our family get mixed up with them and marry them, which was, it, it is a command of God still. Thousands of years later, in verse 32, excuse me, 31, we promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we'll let our land rest, and we will cancel all debts owed to us. They hadn't been honoring the Sabbath, and they they got right with God. They said, we're going to honor the Sabbath. We're going to take that one day a week off. We're going to worship God and we're going to rest. Boy, does our society need to hear that today. And part of the the Jewish law was every seventh year, you let the land rest. You didn't plant, you let it rest. And this is a cool thing. Don't you wish this was in practice today among Christians? Every seventh year, you cancel the debt that uh, that people owed you. Don't you wish that? Of course, what they do is you'd have a six-year mortgage at that point, uh, and everything would have to be paid within six years. But so basically what they're saying is God has got a hold of us, and we are going to obey God. It's going to affect our behavior, when God gets a hold to you and me completely, it affects how we do life. Here's the second part of this, this story, and a very important one. When God gets a hold of us, it affects our giving. It affected their behavior. It affected how they give. Folks, with, with sadness, I tell you, we're moving into a tithing sermon here, but we've already locked the doors. You can't get out. For some of you who think we talk about this all the time, I, I keep a very good record of my sermons. May the 22nd, 2016 was the last tithing sermon. The good news is there probably won't be another one this year if you get it tonight. Correct? This is, this is interesting to me. Reuters News Service in August of 2015, put out a survey of things people, it's hardest for people to talk about. The number one thing that was hardest for people to talk about was finances, was their money, how they spend their money, how they save their money, how they give their money. Death was number two. We would rather talk about dying than we would money. Is that not weird? No, it's not to you. It is to me. I'd rather sit around the dinner table talking about MasterCard than, than caskets. But uh, mo- most people wouldn't. And so we're uncomfortable talking about money. And some of you right now are probably uncomfortable. And, and, and that's okay. You, you know the Bible? Uh, a guy who has studied this for years, who ha- runs a financial service company, said that 2,350 verses in the Bible deal with money. 2,350. That is incredible. That's a lot. Uh, that, that is a, a whole... Think about the, the books. There's, there's 66 books in the Bible. Divide that by 2,350. Even if he's off by 25, that, that is a whole lot. And, and we're told in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 8, I, I like this, that we should excel at giving. Did you know that God wants you to be a giving 
superstar. Now, if, if you were to talk to someone about, we want you to excel in sports or to excel in music, we would understand what that meant. It meant you would practice it, you would work on it, you would study it. You would read about it. You would get people who are more experienced in it to coach you and teach you. And so when God says to excel in giving, he's saying, look, this is something the rest of our life here on this earth that we ought to work on. We ought to study it. We ought to get help in it. We ought to listen to people. We ought to strive to give better. Now, if you're not a Christian tonight, you stay with me because at the end, we're going to bring this back to you. If you're a Christian, this applies to you a thousand percent. Should we excel at giving? Absolutely. But my thesis tonight from the book is that when God's got you, he's got your billfold. That you're not going to excel at it if your heart's not in it. Amen? Wayne, you take a music student who doesn't want to do it, but no matter how talented they are, they're not going to excel, are they? And that's the same way with this. So excel in it, but it comes back to a heart issue. Here's some interesting things before we jump into the heart of it. Look in verse 32. In addition, we, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. Have you ever heard of the temple tax? Another translation from this silver, it was, he was saying one-third of a shekel. Now, a shekel is a biblical, you've heard of the shekel. You know, Jesus went to the dime machine and put, you know, two shekels in and got some bubble gum out or a fake tattoo or whatever. Uh, in, in the, <laughs> thanks, Jeff, that was funny. I thought it was funny. And, and now, now, this is interesting, too. That they were actually supposed to give a half a shekel, but it's basically saying a third a shekel here. And, and the scholars believe because the people were so poor, they couldn't do it. So God was kind of cutting them some grace. Before you even got to the tithes and offerings we were going to get to, if you were a male 20 years or older, you had to pay a temple tax. Is that not funny? In Jesus' day, read in Matthew, he had to pay a temple tax. So, in other words, men, at the beginning of the year, you better hit the kitty. Not where the tithe and offering, but you owe a tax. Isn't that funny? Reggie Hanchy is our tax collector. He will be coming by your house, you men, to get your temple tax. And look in verse 20, uh, excuse me, 33. This will provide the bread of the presence. That's the show bread, the 12 uh, loaves of bread that went on the, the table in the, the temple every week for the regular grain offerings, burnt offerings for the offerings of the Sabbath, the new moon celebrations, annual festival. The Jewish people party, didn't they? Isn't this great? For the holy offerings, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, it will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. Pretty good stuff. Temple tax. We don't have that anymore. We're thinking about instituting that here at First Baptist in 2018. Look in verse 34. We have cast sacred lots to determine when at regular times each year the families of the priests, the Levites, and the common people, I guess that's us, should bring wood to God's temple to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as written in the law. Now, did you know at the temple, at the altar, a certain altar, the fire was not to go out? Did you know that? That's before electric fake fireplaces. (laughs) So you had to have a lot of wood. And part of your offering was, is it might be your week to bring the wood. Wouldn't that be neat? John and Linda, it's your week. Bring the wood. I don't know about you. I'm going to go to Super One and buy some wood probably and bring it up here. 
But, but that was part of the gig. See, I, first of all, I want you to know how easy you got it today. You're not, you don't have a church tax, and you don't have to bring wood. Isn't that good? They had to do these things. But you know what? When God got their heart, they were great with it. They, did, they didn't mind doing it. It wasn't a problem at all. But let's look at some principles here. Let's look at some principles that, that are going uh, to unfold in the verses ahead that clearly are for you and me. Here, here's the first one. God is who we give to first. This, you're, you're a Christian. God is who we give to first. You're not a Christian? No way. I'm not talking to you about this. God wants your heart, not your billfold. When he gets your heart, he'll get your billfold. Verse 35, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple, year after year, whether it be crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. Another passage talks about their cattle. That first part there, in your translation, it may say first fruit. What is first fruit? It's the, it's the best. It's the first. It's number one in rank and order. Do you believe this if you're a Christian? Your, your first debt is to God. You believe that? Not really? Kind of? That, that, that we owe God before we owe anybody else. And I hear a lot of people Say, man, I would tithe, but I got to pay this bill and pay this bill and pay this bill. I understand debt and owing people, but you know what? God's who I owe first. He, he is my first credit. I'm asked a lot of times, do we tithe off the, the gross or the net? You know what the gross is? It's that grossly exaggerated number before Donald Trump gets his hands in there and pulls it out or whoever the, you know, the, the government does. Do I, I think you tithe off the gross because that's my first fruit. That's exactly what Cindy and I do. Look in verse 36. We agreed to give to God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds, flocks, and prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priest who ministers to, at the temple of our God. Now, give our firstborn sons. How many of you are a firstborn son? Does that make you a little nervous? I mean, was mom and dad supposed to take you to the temple and tie him down and chop him up? No, uh, I was the firstborn, and my parents probably wished that would have been the Baptist law years ago at times. But what that meant, and that you saw this when Jesus was born, you brought that firstborn to the temple, and you basically paid for a sacrifice to be done, and you dedicated your child to Jesus. You didn't sacrifice on them in the altar. You did give your first of your calf, your first of your sheep to the Lord our God. So the principle is, is that God is who we owe first. So we give to God first. God is our first debtor, our credit, who we owe. God is who we give to first. Here's the second part of this. God's house is the first place we give to. Should you give, if you can, to, to other Christian causes and ministries and organizations and to schools and, and absolutely, if you can, but as a Christian, we give to God's house first. Again, verse 35, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple. Year after year, whether it be crop from the soil or fruit from the vine. Verse 36, we agree to give to God, our oldest sons, the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present to, them, to the priest who minister where? In the temple 
of our God. Verse 37, we will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. We promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our rural areas. Now, here's, it's a little complicated. If you lived out away from Jerusalem, and the temple is the national place of worship. Synagogues were local place of worship. So if you lived out away from Jerusalem, you could, you walked or you rode a donkey everywhere you went. So, you know, out could be 30 miles. There were Levitical cities set up. A, a, a Levite and a priest, I'll, I'm going to differentiate them in just a second. But, but you would take your tithe to that Levitical city, that Levitical place first. And then you also, we'll see later, but that, that was a place of God. And we'll talk more about, differentiate some things in a minute. But you take, you would take, you, you live near that place, you took your tithe there. You go to the temple later, you took a tithe there. But the, the principle was, is that their tithe, their, their first gift went to God's house. It went to God and it went to the house of God. To them, there, there wouldn't be any kind of thinking at all of, of that I'm going to give this to uh, someplace else besides the house of God. A Jewish man would go, he would go at least three times a year, he was supposed to, no matter where he lived in Israel, to Jerusalem, to the festivals. And, and here's what's uh, kind of interesting, is that he would give in that Levitical city, and then he would give at the temple too. I'm going to talk about this more in a second, but he's probably given about two tithes a year instead of just one. But you live out in a rural area. Let's say you're a widow or you're not married. You would take that tithe to the Levitical city, to your local place of worship, and then that Levite would take that a tenth of all the tithes he gathered to Jerusalem, to headquarters, and tithe off that there. Pretty complicated, but the principle was is they gave to their place of worship and ultimately to the temple. A lot of great places you can give. And again, I would encourage you to give life choices, to tech, to grambling, to your kids' school. So many good places. But a Christian should give to God first, and that should first go to their church. I've heard people say, well, now, pastor, the temple... And the church are two different things. They, they absolutely are. But before you downplay the church, the, Jesus Christ said the church is my body and my bride. And the church is not just some universal, mystical, invisible thing out here. This is the church right here. You go to another church tonight. We're not trying to get your money. Uh, you, you have a church you're supposed to be tithing to. So don't ever downplay, well, that was the temple and that's more important than the church. Man, the church is the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. My first debtors to God, the first place I give to God is through my church. And number three, our giving should begin with an undesignated tithe to our church. How do I start to give if I'm going to give God's way? I'm going to give to God first. I'm going to give to my church as the first place I give. And undesignated means no strings attached. I'm giving 10% of what I make to my church. Verse 37 and 38, we will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We'll bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, the best of our new wine and olive oil. 
We promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it's the Levites who collect the tithes in all the rural areas. Verse 38, a priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive the tithes, and a tenth of all of that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. Now, again, about the storerooms were big rooms offside, outside of the temple, connected to the temple. You're bringing it to the temple. The Leviticus cities had storerooms and store areas. What's the difference in a Levite and a priest? They're both religious leaders. They all come from the line of Levi. Remember the 12 tribes and, and, and the, the Levites and the priests come from the tribe of Levi. Now, there's a split off because the, the priests come from Aaron in the tribe of Levi. The, the Le- Levites were religious leaders who had certain duties, but the priests are kind of like the special forces. They're the guys who did the sacrifices and the offerings, those things, worked in the inner temple. So that's a little bit of the difference there. And you see you talk about the Levites, the priests, these guys, this guy, this guy, that guy. But it's neat to see how when God was trying to tell them how to give, God who, by the way, gives it all to us, God who owns it all, said, I want you to start with a tithe. The tithe is 10%. It's 10 out of 100. It's pretty easy to differentiate there. Again, it looks like the Jewish people had to give probably two tithes a year, especially if they lived out. They would give that tithe in their Levitical city, and then when they came to Jerusalem, they gave a tithe. And every third year, they gave a special tithe. So every three years, you were given about 30%. God God let us off easy, didn't he? Okay, let's go to 30% here at First Baptist. How many of you vote for 10 tonight? 10%. Do I hear 15? Do I hear 15? I think you're good at 10. Now, here's what you hear a lot of times, too. Tithing is Old Testament. That doesn't apply anymore. It's the law. We're not under the law anymore. Well, I tell you what, I'm under the law not to commit adultery. If you don't believe me, ask God and ask her. I'm under the law not to lie. But the tithe comes before the law. In Genesis 14, verse 20, it says, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had Recovered. Now, we're not going to look at these other verses tonight, Brian, just for time's sake. But in Genesis 28, it's pretty interesting. When Jacob, God blesses him, he gives 10%. In Matthew 23, 23, in the New Testament, well, Jesus, did Jesus do away with tithing? Let's look at Matthew 23, 23. Do we have it for the screens? It says, but he's talking to the religious leaders. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law? And you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Jesus did not preach politically correct, did he? For you are careful to tithe even off the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, if Jesus was going to do away with the tithe, why did he say that? Why, why do you say that? Tithe is a starting point. For a lot of us, we ought to be beyond the tithe, and then we ought to give offerings as we can. But if all you can do is tithe, you know what? You are obedient to God. Here's a big problem, though. American Christianity, and it hovers. I mean, it hadn't changed really in 20 years. The average American church-going person gives about 2.5% of their income to their church. I'm not real good in math, but that's off, isn't it? About 7.5%. 
about 2.5%. That's, something is, is amiss with that, and something is, uh, uh, I think, very troubling at that. I had my, my assistant, Brenda, this week run some numbers. And Brenda, I misplaced that form you gave me, so if I'm off a percent, I'm not trying to stretch the truth like preachers do. You know, how many did you have this morning? Well, it looked about 2,000 to me. Well, it only sits 750. Well, it was crowded. It was packed in here. That our, in our church, our church is above average. And our church is generous. But only about 28% of our church tithes. If you looked at family units, that's, that could be a single person. That can be obviously a family. 28%, so is that 60, 72% don't tithe? wonder what we could do if we had 50% who tithe. Folks, I want to encourage you, and, and I want to tell you, uh, my ministers will testify to this. We, we look at our ministers tithing periodically. If we had a minister who wasn't tithing after they were warned about two or three times, you know what we would do? We would say, you need to go work somewhere else. That's how much we believe in it. We think it's absolutely biblical and crucial and essential. Why don't you tithe if you don't? Why are you mad at me right now? Well, maybe you didn't know. Honestly, that, a lot of times people don't do something because they don't know. Maybe you just don't trust God enough. I'm not kicking you, but you go, I can't do it. God, will, I, I can't do it. Well, you can. Here's the third reason. God's not got you totally. God's not got you totally. There was a little four-year-old boy. They were taking the Lord's Supper at his church. The Lord's Supper came by him. His mama wouldn't let him take it. Parents, that's a good thing. It gets, we believe you take the Lord's Supper after you're saved. And so it, that gets kids talking, too. Why don't I get to take it? Why don't I get to take it? A few minutes later, the offering plate passed by the kid. The kid always had a dollar to put in the offering plate. Offering plate passed by. He sat there. His mama said, put your dollar in. He goes, nope, I don't eat, I don't pay. <laughs> now, are we not like that, though? If Wayne sings that song again, I will never give another dime. I'm so tired of hearing tithing sermons. If I will never tithe again. Or you, 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 get, you get mad at me. You get mad at the youth group. You get mad at this. So you don't tithe. Come on, really? You need to tithe at your church. And if you are so frustrated with it, at some point you feel like you can't tithe anymore, you need to look for another church. Well, I don't trust them. Oh, my. Why are you going there? I don't trust them with my money, but I will let them teach me and my family about Jesus. Come on. Really? Really? I, I owe 10% to my church, and so do you. That, that, that's the that's starting point to how we should give. Here's the fourth thing. This is how God's work survives and thrives. This is how God means for his work to survive and thrive. Verse 39, the people, the Levites, must bring the offerings of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms, place them there in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. We promise together not to neglect the temple. They had been, and the temple was in disrepair. The wall were in disrepair. The Levites and the priests didn't own any land. God, God intended for them to be dependent on him and the people. They weren't able to do their work because they didn't have they weren't making a living and now the people are saying you know what we've been messing up and we're going to get our act together and we're going to give as we should because we understand that's how God's church will survive and thrive folks 
we don't need to do, and if your church does these, this, I'm, not, I'm not kicking your church at all. It can do whatever it wants to do. I don't want us doing fundraisers here. We don't need to do 50 special offerings here. We need to tithe. We need to tithe. And you go, well, I may not tithe, but I'll give to the the pastoral vacation fund. That's great. Tithe. I'm going to give to this mission cause, but I'm not going to tithe. You think that honors God, honestly? I'll give to the youth because I love youth, and, and the youth are tomorrow's future. Well, they are. Tithe. That's how we do the things around here. And and when we give as we should, folks, we give 10% of every dollar here out to causes that go across the world. I I put it high. We give about 15%. And the more that we take in, the more that goes out. 2002, August of 2002 in this church, that, uh, excuse me, November of 2002, this is 14 years ago, general receipts, we took up about $98,000. 2016, we took up 201,000. Isn't that wonderful? 2002, we gave $9,800 to missions around the world. In 2016, we gave over 20,000. Isn't that wonderful? You see, when the tide rises, everything rises with it. That's how God works, survives and thrives. And here's the last thing. This is the way God prospers you. Malachi 3.10. Man, Malachi 3.10 is so great. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. That's the temple. So there will be room enough and food in my temple. The work can go on if you do, says the Lord of heaven's army. I will open up the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it. Try it. Put me to the test. God says, try me. You can't outgive me. Put him to the test. How does God prosper you financially? Earn your money right. Don't be a thief. Don't be a cheat. Don't sit around waiting for people to give you things. Earn it. Budget it. Tithe it. Pay your bills and live within your means. Basic things. And when you do that and tithing being the foundation of that, God will prosper you. Let me ask you this. Does God really have you? We really have all of you. Am I fully committed to my wife if I'm committed to her every, every day of the week except Friday night? Do I need to even answer that? Honey, I ain't going to be sold out to you except I need one girlfriend on the side. I forgot to negotiate with, that, with the church up front too, so of course not. How silly. But I I can say, I love God, and I'm right with God. He just, no, God, no. Get away from my checkbook and my credit card. (laughs) In Brazil, several years ago, a 49-year-old man had a stroke. And as you know, sometimes a stroke can change uh, a personality. This man's personality went in a very odd and wonderful direction. And the, and the, the neurologist working with it said they'd never seen this. He became and is obsessively generous after his stroke. They fortunately have money. His wife has to manage it now. She said he will go and he will get, go to a grocery store and buy candy and just hand it out to kids on the street. He'll give people money. He'll buy them things. 
And the doctors say he's recovered in every way except this obsessive generosity personality disorder. Friend, I don't want anybody in here to have a stroke. But here's what I do want. It's better, a lot better. When God gets all of you, your generosity is going to be impacted. And it ought to affect every area of your life, but it ought to start with God's house. So a couple of questions. Are you a Christian? Do you really belong to Jesus? If not, God's not not after your money. He's after you. Will you come tonight and give your life to Christ? Maybe you'd like to join our church. Oh, my goodness, I'll have to tithe. Yep. You're going to need to be nice and a lot of other things too. But if God wants you here, you come and join us. We'll love you and we'll want you to love us. Christian, many of you are doing great in this area. Keep it up. Some of us aren't. Start at 5% if you need to. With the goal, you're going to work that up to 10 this year. You make a commitment where you are at the altar, but let God have all of you. Let's stand. You come now as we sing.